Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Friday, August 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Molten drops out, the DNC votes down a climate debate, a listener question on donor counts, and a new segment for Friday, Candidate Anecdotes. Today we are featuring Warren. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. This morning, Massachusetts Representative Seth Moulton announced that he is dropping his bid for the presidency. The announcement came in the form of a story in the New York Times by Alexander Burns. Reading from that article, quote, Mr. Moulton suggested that most of the other Democratic candidates were also laboring in vain at this point, with only a tiny few, Mr. Biden and Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, remaining as real competitors for the nomination. He warned in the interview that if Democrats were to embrace an overly liberal platform, it could make it harder for the party to defeat President Trump. End quote. While I disagree that this is a three-way race right now, it's probably something like a five- or six-way race, but okay, point taken. Moulton was one of the more moderate candidates in the field, and he was also one of its few veterans. With Moulton and Gravel now out of the race, the only veterans remaining are Buttigieg, Gabbard, and Sestak. Much of Moulton's campaign revolved around his combat service in Iraq and his commitment to better serving veterans at home. In the Times article, he said he would continue that work in part by relaunching Serve America, his political action committee devoted to raising awareness around veterans' issues. One of the problems that Moulton faced throughout his 123 days in this race was that he announced late. He announced his candidacy on April 22nd, just three days before Joe Biden. When Biden announced, and even in the days leading up to it, he really dominated the news, so it was hard for Moulton to get much traction. Moulton never made it into any of the DNC debates, since he met neither the polling nor the donor requirements. He did make the best of it, though, buying TV ads in the four early voting states and scheduling them to run during the first debate. Alright, so let's run through a few highlights from Moulton's run. First up, in early June, he spoke at a CNN town hall in Georgia. Here's a clip where a voter asks him a question. Listen in. What is your plan to lead the dismantling of systemic racism in this country to drive justice for marginalized groups, especially for Black and First Nations people? And if you could please, please frame this beyond criminal justice reform. We have a problem with racism in America today. If this co country wasn't racist, Stacey Abrams would be governor. Because people of color are being systemically denied the most basic right in a democracy, which is the right to vote. That's why we need a new Voting Rights Act in America. He followed up on Twitter about the New Voting Rights Act by writing, quote, That means automatic voter registration, abolishing the Electoral College, ending gerrymandering, and statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico, end quote. Just three days after that, Moulton announced his plan to proactively repair the discharge status for LGBTQ veterans. Many of those service members are not able to receive veterans' benefits, and Moulton's plan would fix that. Listen in. And so tell us about your idea for LGBT service members. So this is something that I'm just releasing this week, uh, which is to say that if you were kicked out of the service because you were gay or, or you uh, engaged in homosexual activity, then 
we're going to write that wrong and we're going to restore your discharge, upgrading it to honorable discharge if you received an other than honorable, dishonorable discharge um, because of just who you are. You know, it takes a lot of courage to fight. I think it takes even more courage to fight while hiding a part of who you are. And that's what so many gay and bisexual veterans had to do for, gener uh, for generations. Since World War II, there have been about 100,000 American heroes kicked out of the service just for being gay. And the government has never really righted that wrong. We've changed the policy, but we haven't gone back to fix the discharges of those people who were kicked out. They're not getting the benefits they deserve. They're not getting access to the GI Bill. Uh, their legacy for the families, for those who have, dis who've, who've, who have passed on, uh, is tarred uh, by this government, by this American mistake. So I'm going to fix that if I'm elected president. Moulton says he will turn his attention to running again for his congressional seat in the 6th District of Massachusetts. There is a contested primary there, so it is wise for him to focus on that race right now. Also, he is scheduled to give a formal speech today, talking more about the race and his reasons for dropping out. Next up, yesterday the Democratic National Committee held a vote on whether to hold a climate debate. Now, this is interesting in part because DNC Chair Tom Perez had already declined such a debate months ago, but the Resolutions Committee, a subset of the overall organization, was essentially forced to vote on it after a resolution was introduced into that committee. The final vote was 17 to 8 against the resolution. Now, there will be a general session of the full DNC tomorrow, that's Saturday, so there may be more news yet to come. But the key news here is they voted and it was a big nope. That means it is not going up for a general vote in the larger DNC meeting. Reading from a Huffington Post story by Alexander C. Kaufman and Chris D'Angelo, quote, The influential youth-led climate group Sunrise Movement, a driving force behind the climate debate push, filled the room where the vote took place with as many as 100 activists on Thursday. We deserve a chance at a livable future, one Sunrise activist shouted after the vote. We deserve a climate debate. The nonprofit vowed to hold protests over the next day, intended to shame the DNC for voting down the measure. End quote. Meanwhile, there was another resolution that turned out differently. I've talked about this probably a dozen times now, and I even mentioned it yesterday. The DNC has held two positions that so far have been tied together. First, it would hold no single issue debates during the cycle, including no debate on climate change, because that is a single issue. Second, if a candidate were to attend somebody else's single-issue debate, they would be disinvited from any future DNC-sponsored debates. I think the logic there was that the DNC didn't want to lose control of the overall debate process and have it end up being run by other organizations, but at the same time, that ban-your-candidate position was way less defensible than simply saying, hey look, we don't do single-issue debates on anything, but you do you. So here's the news on that. In a separate motion, the same DNC Resolutions Committee voted to move ahead with a resolution that would reverse that candidate ban thing. Now, that still needs to work its way through the larger system, and that's going to be part of the meeting this weekend, but it is seen as a partial victory. It's also a big reason why the Sunrise Movement folks are sticking around through the weekend to make sure it's clear to the party that this issue matters and there is a strong constituency behind it.
Well, let me set the scene. You're tracking an election. You're not 100% sure whether things are going to turn out the way you might want. And meanwhile, you have a life, perhaps a job, maybe school, you know, the world and stuff. If you're feeling a tinge of stress, I don't blame you. I feel it too. And the tool I use to work with that feeling is an app called Simple Habit. Simple Habit is an app to help you meditate or just tune in to some calming sounds. For example, there is an hour-long recording of sounds from the Oregon coast. I love the Oregon coast. I would rather be at the Oregon coast right now, but you know, I gotta work. So what do I do? I turn on Simple Habit, I listen, and if I've got five minutes, I go through a guided relaxation session. Simple Habit is free to use. There are hundreds of sessions right in there for free, but there are thousands more sessions and those cool nature recordings if you plop down just a few bucks. I want you to go to simplehabit.com slash ride. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a paid plan there will get 30% off. Now you gotta use that link. It's the first link in the show notes. Again, that is simplehabit.com slash ride to get the discount and let them know you came from this show. So one last time, the first 50 listeners who go to simplehabit.com slash ride are gonna get 30% off and feel a little bit less stressed out. All right, let's face it, hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans through thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Election Ride Home listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-A-R-Y. One last time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, listener question time. It has been too long, and yeah, the list of questions is really piling up. I'm sorry about that. I do have them. I just haven't been doing them on the show. Today, we have a question from listener Whitney Joe. Now, this was actually a two-part question, but I'm holding part two for Monday because we just don't have time today. So, part one, quote, Why are donor counts a thing? It seems counterproductive to value them so highly when so many people are giving to multiple candidates, end quote. Okay, this is an excellent question as usual. Thank you to our astute listeners for pointing out things that I've never really discussed on this show. So the donor count thing is officially called the grassroots fundraising threshold. The idea behind it was publicly stated by DNC chair Tom Perez way back in February when he said, quote, because campaigns are won on the strength of their grassroots, we updated the threshold, giving all types of candidates the opportunity to reach the debate stage and giving small dollar donors a bigger voice in the primary than ever before. End quote. He also said in an email to The Atlantic, quote, If you want to be president of the United States, you have to develop a proficiency at grassroots fundraising. That's the only way we win. End quote. Okay, so that is literally the party line. Another way to think about this, at least as far as many Democrats see it, would be to say that this happened because of Senator Bernie Sanders. He famously had that $27 average donor figure in the previous cycle, and that proved that a lot of people were willing to support him. That is the definition of small-dollar grassroots support. Yet the DNC famously favored Clinton in the debates in that cycle. 
So you have to imagine the DNC sitting around early this year and saying, hey, everybody, how are we going to do this now and allow candidates like Sanders to get a fair shot? Well, here we are with this grassroots fundraising thing. And yes, it has turned out to be very weird in practice, though it sure seemed like a decent idea on paper. One more important note is that Trump actually beat Sanders. He beat everybody in small dollar donation fundraising in the last election. So the DNC correctly sees this grassroots small donor thing as being vital, given that they know who they're up against and how good he is at getting these small dollar donations. So let's not lose sight of that. The original idea was that if a candidate could actually convince 65,000 people to give a dollar to their campaign, that candidate clearly had a good campaign operation and deserved a voice in the primary debates. It was seen as proof of that candidate's viability, regardless of whether they had good polling or name recognition or job experience or whatever. I think that's a reasonable idea, and I think the intent there was clearly good and relatively fair. The 65,000 and now 130,000 numbers may seem arbitrary, but the DNC says they talked to Act Blue and set those numbers based on what they thought would be challenging but not impossible. Now, in practice, this donor thing did not work as expected, because there were so many candidates who met either the donor threshold or the polling threshold or both, and there were only 20 spots on the debate stage. I don't think the DNC really thought that 20 candidates would qualify under their initial criteria, or that so many donors would give to so many people in an attempt to get around that system in order to have as diverse a debate stage as possible. The other big problem was that the DNC preferred polling as a tiebreaker method, which is why Gravel never made it to the debates, even though he did get that donor number just before the second debate. Yet did have people on stage both times who just had the polling requirement, but have never gotten the donor numbers. So the DNC clearly thought that polling was still more important than grassroots support. The other big problem, obviously, is that this requirement has led to millionaires and billionaires begging regular people to please give them $1. This is totally bizarre and counterproductive, but is now absolutely required in order to remain viable. The cost to get that dollar is more than $1, and so you end up with a wasteful system. Many candidates are spending their high-dollar donations on trying to get low-dollar donations in order to meet this particular goal. The beneficiaries of this system have really been the platforms that run the ads, like Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, whoever. It's fair to say that the way donors responded to this requirement was unexpected by the DNC. I have personally talked to so many people who said, hey, I gave a dollar to everybody who was on the bubble because I wanted to hear them speak. Well, it's a totally fair and honestly pretty cool thing to do, but it feeds this weird system in a way that I think was genuinely a surprise to the DNC. Now, the DNC does need to rethink how this works in the future, otherwise we'll just see a repeat of the same weird effect in four or maybe eight years. And I don't think anybody, candidates, voters, or even the DNC, really thinks that this outcome is what they wanted. Okay, that's the summary, and for a really good deep dive on this topic, check out the article titled The DNC Isn't Apologizing for Its Debate Rules by Russell Berman in The Atlantic. There is a link to that in the show notes, as always. Okay, time for a new segment to close out our Friday shows going forward. I'm excited about this, and I hope you will be too. For now, I am calling this Candidate Anecdotes. The idea here is to collect recordings of the candidates telling stories about their lives. They can be funny, they can be personal, they can be sad. I don't care about that part, as long as they're the candidates not campaigning, but just being human. 
And if a candidate wants to come on the show and tell the story live or send me a clip, go for it. My door is open. I have Skype. We can make this happen very easily. So in a moment, I will play you the first anecdote and we'll do one of these every Friday until I run out, which could be as soon as next week. And that's where you come in. I only have one more of these. It's from Harris. So I need your help to find more or I will just have to hit the pause button. What I'm looking for is audio or video clips in the range of, say, one to four minutes. This can be for any candidate for a national office in the U.S. The story itself does not have to be news related or politics related at all. In fact, older recordings that have nothing to do with the news might be even better. All parties are welcome, all positions are welcome, though I am going to give priority to people running for president first, especially if I don't get a ton of these recordings. Oh, and one more rule. The audio cannot come from somebody else's podcast because I'm not going to go rip off Joe Rogan or something. This needs to be from some kind of public appearance, and yes, TV is almost always fair game. By the way, here's a tip. Book tour interviews are a great place to find these stories because they tend to be way less formal than actual campaign appearances. You might have smaller audiences, a smaller room, a more intimate setting, and it's typically about a book, which is typically about a person, so it's more personal and less, you know, issuey. So if you have a candidate that you love and you can find a recording of them telling a good little story, please send me the link. You can find the Election Ride Home on Facebook and Twitter. Those links are at the top of the show notes. Or you can always just tweet at me directly and my DMs are open or public tweets are good too. You can also just email me. The address is chris at chrishiggins.com. Okay, getting into it. Our first Canada anecdote comes from Senator Elizabeth Warren. This is a clip from 2011 telling the story of how she met Barack Obama for the first time. This audio comes from the Chicago Humanities Festival. I originally found this on the Twitter account Trojans for Warren, which is a fan group by students from the University of Southern California. A link to that tweet is in the show notes, and there's also a link to the entire hour-long interview if you're curious. Now, because the story is from 2011, remember that Warren didn't enter the Senate until 2013. So at the time she gave this anecdote, she was running the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and she had just wrapped up her oversight of the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP. All right, with all that out of the way, listen in and enjoy. So I got an email, my husband and I both did, um, from one of our colleagues uh, who said, um, uh, there's another one of our former students who wants to run, who wants to put together a committee to explore whether or not he might be able to run uh, in the Democratic primary uh, for Senate in, uh, in uh, Illinois against an incumbent. Uh, and... I like to go to these things for our former students. And so uh, we, we put in a whopping 250 bucks and uh, went over late afternoon um, uh, to David Wilkins' house. And the, the physical part of this is actually the most fun part of the story. Um, he has this house that has a big sunroom on the back that lets in a lot of light. Uh, and it was late afternoon. And so I walked in the front door. There were, by the way, I think there were six people who came to this party. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is like my one time I bought Microsoft at a penny, you know. Uh, and um, <laughs> and I, 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 I look back and here's this tall, slim man, you're going to love this, who's backlit. <laughs> and he just sort of glows in the light. And I walk down the hall. I actually don't know who this is. And I'm walking down the hall. And he turns around and holds his hand out. And as our hands meet, 
he leans forward and says, predatory lending. <laughs> swear to God. And I went, and he said, it's predatory lending. This is why I need to go to the United States Congress. I've tried to deal with it in the state legislature. I've tried to deal with it in state laws. The federal regulators are holding us off. They won't let us act to protect our own citizens. I've got to be able to move to Washington to do something about predatory lending. He went on and on and on. And I'm still just standing there with my hand. And finally he gets all the way to the end. And then he says, with his great smile, well? And I said, you had me at predatory lending. <laughs> it's true. Well, that is it for more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Keeping this short on the outro, the dentist was fine, the tree stump is not, the African violet clones are still doing absolutely nothing, but on the bright side, it's summer, I've got a few good books to read, and I am gonna read hard this weekend, oh I tell ya. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all on Monday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.